Colossians chapter 2. Children's church, yeah, you, you can be dismissed. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the message this morning is entitled Living Out the Gospel. Living Out the Gospel. And it's found here in Colossians 2 1 through 10. And if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, there hopefully is one there on the pew in front of you. And so if you'll just follow along there, uh, and I'll also have it on the screen. Paul writing, he says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. And those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I'm, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted, built up in Him, and established in the faith. As you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Father, thank you for your word, for your truth, for your church. Thank you for the bonds that are knit together through love in Christ. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we unpack this passage of Scripture, that you would be exalted, that you would continue to knit our hearts together here at Community. For the sake of the gospel, that that transformation would continue to take place in our daily walks so that we might impact this world around us for the cause of Christ. And we'll give you the praise. 
because we ask it in the name that's truly above every name. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, for the record, this morning is my 10th message this week. Yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, I, uh, I tell you that because, honestly, I, I shared with the men this morning, I, just being transparent, uh, the prep time I'd normally like to have in a message, it's just not been here this week. And part of it's intentionally because come Thursday afternoon, I was so spent after doing three services at Wayne Christian School, and I'd done one on Tuesday, and, and then, of course, every Wednesday evening, and I said, you know what, we're taking the day off. We're taking the afternoon off. I knew I was going to be working all day Saturday, <laughs> and so we went to the fair. And I needed that. My family needed that. And so I kind of come in this morning um, feeling ill-prepared, yet confident. Because I know that any time and every time I stand here, it's never in my strength, it's never in the amount of prep or study that I've put in, though God expects that of me, and, and, and I dare not test Him in that every week. <laughs> but I recognize that if there's ever anything accomplished from here, it's through His strength and His strength alone. And so I covet your prayers this morning as... We look at this text, and again, as things kind of unfold, and trust me, they just sort of unfolded because uh, <laughs> I didn't come into this week after a great vacation uh, expecting things to kind of hit like they hit. But it's all good because God is in full control. Paul starts right out of the gate here. And I get it. It's the heart of a pastor. And he's writing to this church at Colossae, and I remind you, most of these people he's never met. He's never been there face to face. You know Epaphras is there, he's under house arrest in Rome. And he writes this letter to give to him to go back. But the heart of a pastor is seen written in these pages. And from the very start, Paul says, I want you to know... What does he want us to know? He starts with, I want you to know the great conflict. If you're taking notes this morning, I did at least muster up a bare bones outline. You can write this down. Paul's conflicts is the first thing we're going to look at in Colossians 2, 1 through 3. Then we'll look at Paul's confidence. Again, um, as was shared, his confidence, my confidence is in Christ. Your confidence is in Christ. Colossians 2, 4 through 5. And then we're going to look at Paul's challenge because I believe anytime we come to the Word of God, there should be a challenge. We should come away. How do I apply this? What is it God's teaching me? How can I put what I've learned into practice? And we'll see that in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. I know you're saying, well, Pastor, we read 1 through 10. Yes, like I said, it was a bare bones outline. Work with me. We'll get there. Uh, I did want to give you the full context because the latter part of this section, 7, 8 through 10, uh, we may or may not touch on today. So let's start first off with Paul's conflict. 
Again, he's writing, he's writing from prison. He understands what's going on in this church. There is potential problems starting to happen. Now, Epaphras has come and told him some great things, and there's some good things happening, but he also recognizes that there's some who have begun to kind of come in, and they're bringing in some slippery slope teaching. And now it's not even gone that far, it's gone to heretical teaching. There are those that are in the midst teaching about angels and how uh, uh, there's certain angel worship. There's mysticism that's also being brought into the church. Uh, you've also got the traditional, the traditionalists, the Judaizers, who are saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but you still need to keep the Mosaic law. You still need to be circumcised. You still need to have certain dietary rules. And so they're trying to put these rules in play as a means of salvation. And so you've got the asceticism too that says if you want to get closer to God, do certain things and that will achieve a, a, closer, a closeness to God. And so there's these false teachings that are there. And so Paul is very burdened. He wants to address this. He has a desire for them to understand the gospel and what it means to live out the gospel. And so I want us to look at this, this text this morning and, and, and I want you to think about uh, what Paul is struggling with. He says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. Now we can stop right there. Paul is concerned for their spiritual growth. One of the biggest things, and we did read this on down, and so I guess I will touch on it a little bit. He, he says, look, I don't want you to be taken captive. That implies that you could, right? I don't want you to be, he's warning, I don't want you to be taken captive. Church, this morning, be aware, we can be taken captive by the empty deceit of philosophy. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, let me just put it simple. I'm a simple man. Let's put it simple. I don't want you to be swayed by the wisdom of the world. It's real easy for the wisdom of the world to come into the church and lead us astray. Yesterday in, in, in one of my, uh, or in five of my devotions, uh, I, I did an illustration of a present. And... As I was studying and preparing for this lesson, I, I, I heard a story of a pastor who, who uh, brought to remembrance a, a, a present in his life. In fact, I'll tell that story first, and I'll go back to my story of the gift that I offered yesterday. But in this pastor's story, he told of his young son, and they would uh, walk the town of, of Scranton, and, and back in the olden days, there were certain department stores that would light up their uh, displays out front, and in one of the uh, display windows, there was this gigantic, enormous present. And so he was with his young son, probably six or seven at the time, and, and uh, he came, and he, he, they're looking at the window, and the little boy said, Dad, that's the present I want for Christmas! And the dad said, no, son, you don't want that present. He said, yes, I do, dad. That's what I want. That's the present I want for Christmas. Will you give me that for Christmas? He said, son, trust me, you do not want that. That's not the present you want for Christmas. You don't want dad to get you that for Christmas. He said, dad, why not? He said, son, that present's empty. There's nothing in it. Oh. 
So yesterday in the devotions, uh, my kids, my kids, they suffer through pastor's life, I'm just saying. Friday night, I come home, I say, hey guys, Friday night's movie night at the Varner house, all right? So if you want dad to make some homemade popcorn, and we don't do that microwave stuff, I'm just saying, we go old-fashioned. You know, some of you folks know what I'm talking about. I won't give you my secret ingredient, but uh, we cook it up on the stove and beans, you know, the beans. <laughs> That's what the secret ingredient is. No, there's no... <laughs> Yeah, go home and try that one. <laughs> what bean was it? <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll uh, make up some popcorn. I said, you're not getting any popcorn tonight for movie night unless, nothing like a little blackmail, right? Uh, unless you help Daddy wrap presents for tomorrow. Wrap presents? Yeah, I got devotions. I need five presents wrapped. That's enough for them and me on the popcorn, right? So anyway. Well, they wrapped it. It was beautiful. Just like you would expect, <laughs> kids, you know, tape here, tape, you know. But anyway, so I took these presents yesterday for my devotions. And the devotion was about, again, how do you like your gift? And at first I would ask the kids, how do you like this gift? And all the little kids, yeah, and I'm like, wait a minute, something's wrong. You can't admire a gift from a distance. What do you got to do? You got to receive it. And so I, I selected one of the kids to come up. Don't read too much into that, Calvinist. Anyway, I, 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 brought, I brought this little kid up and, and I said, here's your present. How do you like your gift? And of course, someone, I love it. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You don't know what it is yet. What do you got to do next? Oh, God, help them out, kids. Got to open it. Got to open it. Yes, yeah, so open it. So the kid tore open the, the present. And then I said, what do you see? And he looked down inside. I said, tell everybody what's in it. He said, a hundred grand. Whoa, there's a hundred grand in here. <laughs> of course, everybody got real excited. I think some of the parents were going to come off the benches then at that time. I want one of them. It was the candy bar. Sweet. So you receive the gift. You, 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 you open the gift. Now you get to enjoy the gift. Taste it. See how good it is. I said, but there's still something missing. What, what, what do you think's missing? And of course, all the little kids, he needs to share it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. He needs to share it. So he began to share the, the gift. And so you think about the two presents. One of the gifts is empty. And yet the gift in the illustration represents something far greater than 100 grand. You see, guys, as believers, you can't just admire Jesus from a distance. It's not enough to just have Jesus on Sundays. That's like looking at a present and admiring it and saying, Oh yeah, I like my present. I love Jesus from a distance. No, you've got to receive Him. It's got to be personal. It's not enough to ride to heaven on mom and daddy's coattail. You've got to get there through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you received the gift? And then have you opened Him? I mean, have you, you really experienced the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ? That your life has been transformed by the gospel. There should be a transformation in our life, guys, if we have experienced God incarnate. 
the very gift to the world. That's life-changing. And then we enjoy Him because we experience Him. And we, we, how do we experience Him? Well, we spend time in prayer. That's how we enjoy Him. We spend time in His Word. That's how, are you, are you spending time, are you enjoying the time in the Word of God? We also experience Him by spending time with fellow believers. I enjoy my time with you. I love our church. I love our church family. I love our church people. And the funny thing is, we, we oftentimes, just being real, I'm letting you in on, on, on the behind the scenes, sometimes we just plan things so we can be together. Well, that's why we do so much around here. <laughs> Pastor's lonely. No. <laughs> no, I enjoy, I enjoy my family. I'm not ashamed of, of posting all over social media time with my family. I'm not ashamed that, that everywhere I go, if I can take my family, I want to take them. And that doesn't mean we... Well, maybe we do need to get a bus and y'all just come with me. All right? But I feel that way about you. And so when Paul writes and he says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. Guys, the heart of your pastor is oftentimes I, I observe and I see uh, and, and, and with eyes that maybe, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to read too much into it, but I know this. I know that where God has brought me from to where I am today, that sometimes I have insight or understanding into areas of life that maybe you don't see or maybe you don't understand. And then part of also, too, the responsibility of a pastor is that his, he's tasked with the responsibility to oversee the flock as a protector. And so when Paul writes, he says, I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm torn because I, I recognize the danger. I see what you don't see. I know that there's potential harm in your life. Things that are going to cause you, if you're not careful, to stumble, to slip, that may lead you astray. But let me tell you, it's empty. Don't be deceived by it. We, we flirt with the edge of the Grand Canyon. Because it's exciting here. When the reality is, I've got great confidence here. Not in of myself or my strength or my abilities. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul, as we're going to see, his conflict, but we're also going to see his confidence because he recognizes that here is spiritual maturity. Here is where Christ dwells richly. This is where the fullness of the Godhead rests. This is where I can be certain, not because of who I am, but because of His grace, because of His ability, because of His strength, that I am safe in the arms of my Lord and my Savior, here, He will fight my battles. He will defend my name because it's His name that's on the line, not mine. And so when Paul writes this, this is what he's saying. He mentioned Laodicea. I don't want to pass that up. Let's all go over to Revelation. Everybody turn to Revelation chapter 3. 
So Paul's writing, and we know Laodicea is in this proximity. There's other, you know, Ephesus and all these things. So at the time of Paul's writing, he's in prison, he's in Rome, but he, you know, he's, he's writing to, to Colossae, and, and so uh, eventually John's going to write Revelation, and, and so we kind of see down the line what ends up happening in Laodicea in this area. And so he says here in verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing. Do, not know, do, do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. As many as I love, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Paul says, I want you to know that I have a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged. God, he's, he's, wanting to, he's writing to us so that our hearts would be encouraged. Your pastor's hearts are not to be killjoys. They're, they're not to poo-poo on your parade or, or to make your life miserable. Those are, that's not what I wake up in the morning for. I want your hearts to be encouraged. And Paul says, not only does he want their hearts to be encouraged, and this is how. You know how our hearts are encouraged, guys? Right here in the text. Being knit together in love. Being knit together in love. You see now why I want us together? I don't do a lot of knitting. I know I, I probably look the type. But I would imagine it'd be hard to knit pieces of garment together if they weren't together. Paul's encouragement to the church is 
No different than what's written in Hebrews and in Hebrews 10 and, and, and 25, 24 and 25 when he says, hey, don't forsake the gathering together. He says the reason for our getting together, the reason why we do church, is so that we can spur one another on to good works. Right? In love. In love. It's hard to spur somebody. Whatever way you spur. How do you spur somebody? Anyway, don't, don't show me later. I'll show you, Pastor. <laughs> Got some folks from Texas and Arkansas. They could probably tell me how to spur them. Anyway, <laughs> glad you're here today. But you can't spur somebody on if there's nobody there to spur on. Even more so as we see the day approaching. Guys, this isn't browbeating. This isn't pharisaical. This is love. This is what love looks like. I want to be with my family. I want my family to be with me. I want to encourage us. I, I want us to be knit together in our hearts. I want this, this church body to be a family of God so that when the brother's on your nerves, you still love him. When mama makes you mad, hmm, you still love her. It amazes me how much love we have for the world and yet we disdain our own pastors and brothers and sisters within the body. How is this? Paul is wanting the Colossians to know that when he writes this, that he wants to encourage them, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. There's Paul's confidence. Did you see that? He wants you, he says, look, he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No, we've not arrived. But Christ has. He's already overcome. And Paul knows that there's a, there's a warning here. There's this philosophy. There's this empty teaching that's crept in. And some people are being swayed by it. They're being led astray by it. And Paul says that's always going to be empty. But let me tell you where you can find full assurance. Let me tell you where you can find confidence. It's in Christ. It's in Him. And it's in Him only. And so don't, be, don't, don't think it's strange when people judge you, both in the church and outside the church, because of your confidence in Christ, not in your ability. There go I, except for the grace of God. None of us, starting right here with this pastor, are immune from falling. We're one stumble away. Even more of a reason to sit close in my daddy's lap, right? Even more reason to surround myself with those who love God and love each other. Even more of a reason for us to encourage one another, being knit together 
in our life, in our hearts. So that we can encourage each other. Keep up the race. Keep doing what you're doing. Praise be to God. Paul's confidence in 4 and 5, we see it. Something new is happening at Community Baptist Church this morning. Yes. See? Two more years, brother. I'm coming. I'm coming for those casserole folks. I just I'm telling you. I want I want plenty of baked beans and anyways. <laughs> oh mercy. Now this I say, lest anyone deceive you with persuasive words. For though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul uses military terms right there. You see that word good order? You see that word steadfastness? These are military terms, man. This is, this is Paul writing and saying, all right, soldier, listen up. We've got to get this together. It's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a group of military uh, soldiers in lockstep with one another. So when our hearts are knit together in love, guys, when, we're, when that, that accord is tight, the deceitfulness of the enemy that wants to creep in and lead us astray isn't as strong. Or at least our strength against it is stronger. And that's important. And Paul's wanting them to know this because he sees what's coming. He knows what's coming. Their pastor, Epaphras, has told them, hey, here's what's going on. And, and, and so again, I can relate. I can understand because sometimes there's, there's moving parts and pieces within a body. And, and, and let me just say it. Let me just say this out, out loud. All of us daily are being attacked. Spiritually speaking, that's no brain buster right there. That's no new revelation. But the enemy wants to do certain things. Number one, he wants to destroy this local church. You can bank on that. He wants to destroy the testimony of this church just like he does other churches around the community. And many have been hit and many have fallen. And again, that's not to say this one can't. And your individual lives, some of your families, you've been hit, you've been attacked. Some of you know it's like the second you step out into leadership positions, boom, 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 the darts just start coming. As a pastor, I know this daily. Paul understands this. He's writing while he's arrested for this because of the gospel. And he's warning them. Because here's what it looks like today. There it was, it was angel worship. It was, um, uh, perhaps it was the uh, traditionalists, the, the, the uh, Judaizers. It was those um, others, the asceticism of, of you know, self-punishment or, or whatever. There were different things. Let me tell you what it kind of looks like today. You know what the philosophy of the world is today? 
that's making its way into the church. Sexual immorality is okay. Living together before marriage is okay. Homosexuality is okay. They love Jesus. God's still working on them. Who are you to judge? Homosexuality is okay. Tequila on Friday, Jesus on Sunday. It's all right. It's acceptable. Guys, that's that empty box. Now, here's what the Pharisee says. Here's what the Pharisee says. Because, see, this is where the vain, this is where the, this is where the emptiness of the vain philosophy has deceived us today. And he warns us, be careful, you can be deceived. Here's where it's deceived us. We have liberty. Therefore, I'm free to do these things. That's a lie. The reality is when I understand liberty, liberty gives me freedom from these things. And so I'm conflicted for you. I'm conflicted for you. Because I know for some of us it's, it's, it's okay. And again, I'm not, this is not a salvation issue. This is the other lie. The lie says, ah, a pastor who stands on truth, a pastor who stands up and says, that's sin. It was sin back then and it's sin today. That guy is a Pharisee. That's the lie being peddled in the church today. It's not a salvation issue. The Pharisees, it was a salvation issue. You see the difference? Oh, Satan's subtle. He's real tricky with those fiery darts. Please do not miss the subtle difference. If your pastor ever says to you, unless you don't drink, chew, or go with a girl that do, you, you're not saved. That's not what your pastor said or saying. You see, the Pharisees say, you keep these laws, you do certain things to earn salvation. What your pastor preaches, what the New Testament teaches, says if you're saved, you will live different. You will grow. You will walk. You will stumble. You will fall. You will go backwards. You will move forward. You will grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. But He should be at work on us. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look at verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance, not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him 
who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Continue reading. Now all things are of God, who's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You know, I was reminded in our quiet time this morning. How many people do the Word of Life quiet time? I'm curious. Good. If you've done the Word of Life quiet time this morning, it's like, again, all this is just together. We were in 1 Corinthians 5 this morning. And again, what's been happening there in that, in that church in, in Corinth was uh, specifically today, there's, there's a, uh, a professing brother in the passage that's been having sexual relations, sexual immorality with his stepmother. And the Apostle Paul is, is, is writing to the church because they're just like, eh. who are we to judge? Kind of attitude. And so, again, you've had these little schisms. We're of Apollos. We're of Peter. We're of Paul, we're of Christ. And so they've got these little pockets developing of opinion. And again, that's always, the, that's always uh, it's going to happen. I mean, we're human. This is what happens. We gravitate to like-minded people. That's why God warns us that in the latter days, people are going to heap up for themselves teachers that tickle their ears. That's that empty, that's the empty present. That's what's happening in churches, guys, all around the U.S. You see it, you know it. They come to be entertained. The churches have lost their power because they've lost their conviction and there's nothing that separates them from the world. I'm all for different methods. We're not talking that. But the message is diluted oftentimes because we've forgotten that we're ambassadors. So, our quiet time said this. There's a big picture beginning to take shape. The Apollos group had a tendency to equate leadership with intelligence. The Jesus group had a tendency to dismiss leadership and focus on subjective experiences. Both of these extremes are sinful. Paul now addresses the two remaining groups, the libertarians who claimed Paul as their leader and believed it was nobody's right to tell someone else how to live, and the legalists who claimed Peter as their model and wanted to reinstitute the law of Moses in order to control how others lived. These two extremes are addressed in chapters 5 and 6. 
Paul argues that these are just other forms of man's wisdom, ultimately leading believers to either tolerate sin or overvalue human law righteousness, which is usually just self-righteousness. The situation Paul addresses is clearly an immoral one, measured by the ethical principles of almost any religion or culture. A young man within the church is openly living in a marital relationship with his stepmother, probably a younger second wife divorced from his father. From Paul's description, it would appear that everyone knows about it when he says, you're puffed up. He's speaking of being puffed up with man's wisdom. Man's wisdom. Human wisdom says, what does it matter what a man does in his own home? That cannot affect the rest of us. Look at verse 6. The church that tolerates sexual immorality is a sexually immoral church. Leaven spreads throughout the whole lump of dough in the bread-making process. The Bible uses this as a warning against sin spreading through the whole group. The church must maintain the purity of the whole through church discipline. Human wisdom can never teach you that. This is not to say that the church should think only of itself. Church discipline is a loving and selfless practice. The church knows this because God's wisdom has spoken. Sometimes what seems right to a man is very different from what is right according to God. Is church discipline tough? Sure is. Do people sometimes feel pain and emotional hurt? Yes, they sure do. Is it necessary? It is only if we want to please God and not men. So some of you know a couple of weeks back I proposed that we would sign a Declaration of Moral Integrity, that we would ask our leaders to do such. We're not going to do that. Because as I wrestle through in prayer, as I struggle, as Paul says, with the conflict, the desire to want to see our church members mature, to see our church members grow, to, to be confident in Christ, I recognize that the perception of such was one that was not the intent of this pastor's heart. And I caught a glimpse of Satan blowing up something if we weren't careful. And this thought hit me, and I'll share this thought with you. I shared it with men this morning. If the power of Christ cannot convict your life enough to transform you, no signature will. But guys, I love you. There's not a single one of you I don't love. And if the moment came, I pray God give me the grace and strength to lay my life down for you and your family. And that's only by His grace. But we're ambassadors. And there's a balance. And I'm still striving. And I will until God returns. And so will you. And so there's grace. There's grace that should flow every way because our hearts should be knit together in love. Amen? Amen. 
Paul's confidence was in Christ. And here's the challenge I'll leave you with. Go back over to Colossians. Colossians 2, 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Guys, this is the pen that holds it together. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did you receive Christ? Through faith. That's how you received Christ, right? You heard the message. You saw the gift from a distance. But you had to receive it by faith. You had to trust that that offer was legit. And then you open and enjoyed and you share. Just as by faith we received Christ, so walk in Him. I walk by faith, not by sight. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I cannot rely on the empty wisdom of man that says it's okay when God says it's not. I can't live in such a way that I justify. And trust me, guys, we all justify. But may the knitting of our hearts in love be stronger in the bond of grace than any attack of a spiritual enemy. We'll look at and pick up this challenge next week because this is where we get to the heart of Colossians 2 where he says these things, don't don't miss these things that he said right here. Walking in Him, rooted in Him, and praise God, built up in Him. It's in Him, guys. It's in Him, and it's in Him alone. But all the fullness, all the riches, all the wisdom of God rests there. And trust me, that present is full. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. It is powerful and is sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, it's been cutting both ways all week. Thank You. Thank You for my church family that prays, that prays for their pastor, realizing that me and my family are flawed just like them and their families. But God, I am so grateful (laughs) that Your grace is amazing because we don't deserve it. But you give it. Help us to give that grace to those around us. Not as a pass, as an excuse. But Lord, as love would lead us. Not love as the world says. Love says overlook it. Love says ignore it, excuse it. No, love sometimes says confront it. Talk about it. Let's just reason about it. Let's just reason through it. We don't have to agree. We can disagree. 
But love doesn't pull away, isolate oneself from the body. And so, Lord, help us as believers because we're all going to struggle. We're all going to stumble. And instead, Lord, we would pray that we're able to come together to help one another. And sometimes that is through accountability. And sometimes, as we've even experienced here, the hurt and the pain and the emotion of a, of a church discipline. And yet, Lord, when I reflect back on that and the difficulties of what that's been like, still hurting even today. Yet it serves biblically, at least it should, as a reference point, as a warning of the dangers in this specific of alcohol and the effects it can have upon a family, the hurt, the problems, the struggles, the pain. And as we read this morning, or at least we, we, we referenced in 1 Corinthians, that a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. And Lord, I don't mean to single out just one issue. Lord, there's lots of issues. Fill in the blank. We can all fill in the blank. Lord, we need your grace. But help us to in the midst of the conflict, the struggle, the striving, to not find our confidence in the circumstances or the emotions, but may we find our confidence in Christ. And may it challenge our hearts to walk in Him, to be rooted in Him, and to be built up in Him. And Lord, we'll give you the praise for who you are and what you're doing. In the name above every name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.